An uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. These passengers were filing, filling up a cabin of a plane when two blind pilots, two blind pilots, both wearing dark glasses, got onto the plane. One pilot was assisted by a seeing eye dog, and the other pilot was tapping his way along the aisle with a cane. Nervous laughter came over the passengers as the two blind men entered the cockpit, closed the door, and the engine revs up. Passengers begin uh, nervously glancing around, searching for some sign that this is just some practical joke and none is forthcoming. So the plane starts to move and it moves faster and faster and faster down the runway and the people sitting in the window seats realize they are headed straight for the water at the edge of the runway. And as it begins to look as though the plane will plow into the water, panicked screams fill the cabin. I mean, everyone screams. At that very moment, the plane lifts smoothly into the air. The passengers laugh a little sheepishly and relax, and soon they all retreat to what they were doing, secure in the knowledge that the plane is in good hands. In the cockpit, one of the blind pilots turns to the other and he says, you know, Bob, one of these days they're going to scream too late and we're all going to die. <laughs> I don't think they're going to feel very secure with those pilots. But I wonder, does it feel like at times you're flying blindly through life? Is there an unnerving feeling inside in which you wonder, what's next? Daniel Gilbert, psychology professor at Harvard, said an uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. Our national gloom, he says, is real enough, but it isn't a matter of insufficient funds. It's a matter of insufficient certainty. We live in a day of uncertainty. And really, isn't most of our worry and fears over what we don't know? And when we don't know the outcome, that's when we struggle most to trust God. I mean, which is worse? Not knowing or knowing something worse? Which is worse? Not knowing or knowing something worse? I think we'd say not knowing. We live in an uncertain world. Well, we kicked off our time in, in James last Sunday by looking at verses 1 and 4 of chapter 1 as we began our sermon series in James on faith in action. And when I began my preparation for last week's sermon, I was hoping to cover verses 5 through 8, but that was overly ambitious. The best I could do was touch on verse 5. And so turn with me in your Bibles, if you're not there, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to be picking it up in verse 5 and working our way down to verse 12. And as you're turning there, and I hope you are going there, let me set the table for what we'll be looking at this morning. Jesus, uh, James excuse me, came out of the gates by launching into the issue that would have been on the minds of his readers, trials of many kinds. 
You recall that these Christians were new in their faith and they were scattered throughout the known world at that time. And they were scattered because of persecution. They were facing trials of many kinds. And when trials strike our lives, we often ask, what do I do? Well, in the midst of these trials, James commands them, verse 2, we looked at this last week, to consider it all joy or count it all joy. And I think, you know, it's one thing to get through our trials, but to consider them joy? I mean, how is that possible? Well, as we saw last week, it has everything to do with perspective. It's knowing that this difficulty, this trial, this hardship that I'm going through right now is the process that God is taking me through that leads to maturity, to that place where I lack nothing of spiritual significance. Well, you go, but, but what if I don't have that perspective right now, Pastor? I mean, what if, what if this joy thing that James talks about, it isn't happening? I mean, how can I adopt the right perspective? What do I do in those times when I'm finding it difficult to rise above the troubles in life? Well, if in the process you don't know what to do, James tells us what to do. If you need help, this is what you do. Verse 5, my first heading this morning is wisdom for the asking. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Wisdom for the asking. Verse 5. Now many, many look to this verse and maybe even quote this verse uh, when deciding on a job or, or when raising our children or when, when faced with some decision in our marriage or when choosing a college to attend. Church leaders often refer to this verse uh, when facing a significant matter in, in, in the life of the church, or, and just many other issues that confront us, and we refer to James chapter 5. And, and that's fine, for it certainly is an absolute truth which applies to the decisions of life. But I want you to note something here. I want you to note something here. Verse 5 is after verse 4. You go, well, that's really profound, Pastor. I really hope you have something more than that today. <laughs> I do. I do. But, but it's important. We need to understand this contextually, specifically for its wisdom directly to what James has just been talking about, trials. James has just told us that this is what trials will produce in your life, maturity and completeness and not lacking anything we need to live our lives for Him. But when we're in the moment... When we encounter a trial, it's really hard to understand what's going on and believe that it is for our good. And Pastor James doesn't say to them, tough it out, hang in there. No, no, he gives very practical advice. What is it that we need in the midst of the trial so we can have the right perspective? What do we need more than anything else? Wisdom. Wisdom. And I wonder... Why wisdom? I mean, when it comes to trials, why didn't James say, ask God for strength? Why didn't he say, ask God for power? Or ask God for a way out of this thing? He, didn't say, he doesn't say that. James didn't even say, ask God to miraculously deliver you from the trial. Why do you choose wisdom? Because why do we need wisdom when we're going through troubles? 
Well, what is this wisdom? We've got to talk about this a little bit. What is this wisdom that James is, is saying here? What's, what's this word mean, wisdom? Well, it's not intellectual. It's not cognitive. It's moral. We don't just need more information on some issue to resolve the problem. Most of the time, that is not, the, not, not our issue. I mean, the world thinks it's information. We just blast information out. Or education, there's the answer. We just got to educate people. Well, I'd say education is not the answer, not, not merely. It's not the answer to the drug problem in our city. Education or information is not the answer to drunk driving and bullying and, and domestic violence and all the other things we're told it's the answer to. We have enough information to reserve, resolve all of those issues if that's all that is needed. No, wisdom is not just knowledge. It's know-how. It's, it's information turned into action. Alistair Begg defined the wisdom spoken here this way. He said, the endowment of heart and mind which is needed for right conduct in life. See it? What we know has to translate into how we live for it to be wisdom. Wisdom from God, then, is the ability to see things from His perspective and to live God's way in God's world. It's not what you know. It's your belief system put into practice. It's faith in action. Now, why, can, why do trials uh, sometimes overwhelm us? Why is it that the same trial can make one person bitter and another person better? What makes the difference? Your response to trials, which is directly determined by your understanding of God and what, he has, what He's after in your life. And wisdom will see that. Relying on our own understanding will not. So, so when trouble, whatever that is for you right now, or, or some hardship or some crisis, some loss, uh, kind of intrudes in your life, instead of crying out, why me, Lord, cry out, God, give me wisdom to know what to do in the midst of this trial. Lord, give me wisdom to take what I know of your word and what I know of you and your character and who you are and apply it to my situation. That's wisdom. So when we feel inadequate to handle the trial, our best option is to ask God for wisdom. And here's the beauty of our asking. It says here that the one we ask Notice this, gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Literally, the beginning of that says, let him ask the constantly giving God. Now, research this for yourself. Go through Scripture sometime and see how, how, how Scripture character, characterizes God as a giving God. You see it over and over. He gives life. He gives breath. He, he gave his, he gave his one and only son, Jesus. He, he gave Jesus up for us all. He, he graciously gives us all things. He gives us good and perfect gifts. He gives, God gives, and He gives, and He gives. And what is God's response then to our asking for wisdom? He gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And the thought behind the word generous is a singleness or, or God's undivided, unwavering intent that He gives it to you without 
reservation. What a promise, church. Now, with the start of another school year, I had my own flashbacks to my school days, and my mind went to seventh grade, one of the worst years of my school, whole schooling, but anyway, subject for another day. But one of my most difficult subjects was science. I just, I just didn't get it, the matter and molecules and density and classification system. I mean, you might want to tell me about all that afterwards. I'm probably not that interested. Maybe that was part of my problem. But I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get it. And my science teacher didn't get why I didn't get it. And so when I would go to her desk, often as I did, and I asked for her help, her body language and even words at times would say, you again, Brian? Really? You don't, get, you don't understand this yet? That was my science teacher. Now, there was this French teacher <laughs> who patiently walked me through the botching of the French language. <laughs> and I did. And I had to go to her many times in the same question. I never sensed from my French teacher, you again? No, she said, let me help you. What comes to your mind as you come to God with your requests? Might it be the irritated teacher with the roll of the eyes saying, you again? Can't you get this right? I mean, how many times are you going to keep coming back to me? Is that, is that your picture of God? Is he sort of scolding you for asking that he gives, but he reluctantly and begrudgingly gives it to you? He goes, all right, just to be, keep you quiet. Does he chide us for coming to him again? Does he remind us of all our failures and faults? Is he disgusted for, for us for even asking? No, God is not like some teacher who is unapproachable and put out by your asking. He gives generously to all without finding fault. He won't put us down or demean us. He won't, we won't experience divine irritation. He gives generously to all without finding fault. God is generous in the giving of his wisdom. Someone described God's generosity as a pitcher, a, a, a big jug, that was tilted toward uh, his children just waiting to pour wisdom over the trial-parched landscape of our lives if we will but ask. And God's picture, brimming with wisdom, is tilted over us. With God, there's no limits. Wisdom is yours for the asking. Will we ask? And it sounds simple enough. But I, but I come to this and go, why don't we ask? Well, notice that the asking is predicated upon recognizing the need. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask. And the word lack is a banking term, meaning a deficit or shortfall. We all have a wisdom deficit, especially in uncertain times and in trials. The question is, can you admit that? How is pride keeping you from admitting you can't handle the situation that you're in right now? Kind of like the man who bought a new boat. His wife was all nervous because he had no experience in boating. 
But he, he, he said, I got this. I can handle this. And so for weeks, he practiced in the harbor before taking it out to sea. And, and finally, he talked his very nervous wife into going on the boat with him. And gingerly, she stepped aboard and, and out into the harbor they headed. And, and he tried to put her at ease. He said, listen, honey, I've practiced enough in this harbor to know where every rock, every reef, every sandbar is. I know where every single rock is. And at that very moment that he said that, this huge hidden rock beneath the surface made this large crunching sound from bow to stern. <laughs> he looked at his wife sheepishly and he said, yep, there's one of those rocks going by right now. <laughs> he still couldn't admit it. And I think, that is so us. I got this. I'm all set. I can handle it. We'll be humble enough to acknowledge that we lack the wisdom to navigate through some rocky time in your life. You can't be a proud person and a wise person at the same time. Our pride prevents us from admitting we are weak and that we're powerless to do anything about the situation. You need help. The help is closer to you than you think. Reminds me of a man who was working on this building one night, and he slipped and he fell. And as he was falling down this building, at the very last moment, he was able to grab on the edge of a board with the tips of his fingers. And as he just kind of dangled there in the air, just kind of frantic, he cried out for help. But, 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 but amid the noise of the equipment others were using, no one could hear his frantic cries. He's going, help. Well, finally, he couldn't hang on any longer. And in total exhaustion, he let go. And when he let go, he landed on a ledge that was only six inches from where he was hanging. Only six inches. It was right there below his feet. He didn't realize it. There he was holding in fear and anxiety and panic when the answer was only six inches away. Need help? It's closer to us than we think. Why are we just hanging on like this? Wisdom is for our asking. And verse 6 instructs us now on how to ask. Second heading this morning is wisdom for the believing. Look with me at verse 6. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Now, have you ever been seasick? It's a, it's a dreadful feeling, and it's hard to get out of that place when you're in that place. And one, one who doubts is spiritually seasick. And when it speaks of the wave of the sea here, it, the picture is not of this normal pattern of waves rushing shoreward, but a, a surging, a violent motion of the sea. It was used in ancient literature to speak of change and instability, to speak of a raging storm. And the one who doubts here is compared to the waves of the sea. A doubting person is one who's all over the place spiritually. They are unstable. And James calls this person double-minded, two-souled. Can't help but think of John Bunyan's character in Pilgrim's Progress. Mr. Facing both ways. <laughs> Mr. Facing both ways. That's the picture here. Or to change metaphors, Alistair Begg likens it to trying to ride two horses at the same time. 
I'm asking God to show me what to do, and at the same time, I want to do it my own way. I'm going to ride both. That's to doubt. To doubt is to, is to question whether or not you really want to follow what he tells you to do. As has been said, the trouble with good advice is that it usually interferes with your plans. Yeah. I mean, can you think of times when you went to someone for advice, but all you really wanted was that, that he or she agrees with you? I mean, I know you've never done it, but you know a person who's done that, right? We, we, we can approach God the same way. We can come to Him asking for God to speak into our lives about what we're going through right now, but we really want Him just to bless what it is we want to do, kind of just sort of rubber stamp it. If that's how we're going to God, then what can we expect? I mean, we're treating God as some cosmic uh, genie to give us anything we wish for, but we really don't want to follow His will for our lives. Then what will we find? Look at verse 7. It says that, frankly here, that man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. And that's a sobering thought. That if you, you go to God asking for wisdom but you're living this life of duplicity or you have real no intention of following what he tells you, then what are you going to find? Nothing. Zilch. Nada. There's a coming to God that results in receiving absolutely nothing from the Lord. And so, as you face that trial, that trouble in your life right now, your best option is to ask God for help in handling it. But if you don't really want to trust God with it, instead you're going to kind of trust in yourself, you're double-minded. You, you're, you're doubting. Because one minute you're up, you're centered on God. The next minute you're down, you're centered on self and up and down, up and down. Like one tossed on the waves of the sea. You're spiritually seasick. See, wisdom's for the believing. Now, let me just say this so, so, so we just understand it. This, this does not mean we must have perfect faith. Okay? This is not saying that any doubts we might have about what God is, is doing in my situation, it disqualifies us from receiving His wisdom. That's not what James is referring to here because we all have times of doubt. We may wonder, where is God right now in this situation? We may struggle with why such and such is happening in our lives. Those are honest doubts. That isn't the kind of doubts that remove us from receiving something from the Lord. Let's separate that. Think of doubts here as one who leaves God out of his or her life, but then when trouble hits, they kind of shoot up this arrow prayer to look for God to get them out of their jam. Think of it as one who might be saying the right thing on the outside, but inside they have no intention of really trusting God with their situation. Remember, James is all about faith in action. A doubter comes to God asking for help, but insists on really doing it his own way. A believing faith comes to God desiring to put into action what God, what he asked God for. And so when we ask God with a believing heart and trusting ourselves to him, sincerely wanting to do things his way, then God promises he will give us what we need to handle our situation. That's wisdom. Okay. Application. What do you need to bring to the Lord right now and ask him to help you see things from his perspective? Because you're losing it. What difficulty right now do you need to re release control of and trust him with that situation? Is it time to stop going at it alone 
and ask God for help. Because life's uncertain. Troubles abound. Trials can really knock us off our feet. But do you need help? I do. And so do you. And God promises to give his wisdom generously to all without finding fault. Wisdom's for our asking. Wisdom is for the believing. So then, then how does this wisdom relate to where we live, live life? James introduces us now to a poor person and a rich person. And this next heading is wisdom in action. Wisdom in action. Now, as we come to verses 9 through 11, it may seem like James changes subjects. At first pass, it appears that these verses are out of place with what James has been talking about. I don't think so. I think it's tied right in. Follow along with me, verse 9. It says, the brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. Now, let me just pause here for a moment. Because literally, that says, the lowly brother ought to boast in his height. The low or high? Who are the low? Who were the lowly? They were the, the economically low. That in the eyes of the world, they were on the bottom rung of the social and economic ladder. That's who he's talking about. That the scattered, persecuted Jewish believers to whom James was writing were of this class right here, poverty stricken. And so when James spoke of trials, this would have been foremost on their minds. They were poor and likely due in part because of the persecution they were facing that prevented Christians at that time from buying and selling in the marketplace. File that one away. This is how wisdom works. This is wisdom in action here in these verses. This, that, that those considered on low status due to their financial difficulties can view their circumstances from a right perspective. God's wisdom puts worldly wisdom on its head. And in a world which ranks people by wealth and status and position and equates material possessions with happiness... God's wisdom shouts at us not to embrace that worldview. That's worldly wisdom. Wisdom invites us to see our status and our possessions in a different light. That, that it's, it's wisdom in action that views our status in the light of the gospel and eternity. James' point is, is not that poverty itself is commended, nor will he say that to be well off is wrong. The emphasis here is that trials affect Everybody, even those who have much, who may be tempted to trust in their riches when hardship hits. Poor, rich, you have trials. Trials are the great equalizer, it's been said, bringing all of God's children dependence on Him. It levels the playing field. And James's challenge here is that whether you're poor or rich, and in that day, by the way, there were, there was not, uh, there were only two classes economically. There was no such thing in that day as a middle class. Okay, so, so whether you were poor or rich or middle class, you must evaluate yourself, how? By spiritual and not material standards. Look at verse 10. Why shouldn't we evaluate by material standards? But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. The same way the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. What's it saying? Life's transitory. It's temporary. 
fix our eyes on what lasts. That's wisdom in action. It isn't that the one with the most toys wins. For those who die with the most toys still die. The wise person then will choose what is best for me in the long run. The fool only looks at now and plans what he thinks is going to benefit him the best. The wise wisdom in action fixes his sights beyond the grave. As Joseph Bailey prayed, Lord, burn eternity into my eyeballs. James reminds these Jews who were far away from their homeland, they have a new home. They were, they were now citizens of heaven. And someday they would all return home to that place where their primary citizenship lies, heaven. And that's why he says in verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, meaning stands up under the weight of trials, because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Verse 12 kind of summarizes all that he's been ta- saying to this point. James has already spoken about the benefits of perseverance in this life, verses 2 through 4. And now here in verse 12, he points to the future blessings. He speaks uh, 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 to a crown of life, or literally a crown that consists of life. Notice who it's given to. I'm not going to spend time here, but notice it's given to those who love him. It's that love for him that is our greatest motivation. And yet, God wants us to know there's some, there some rewards that also await us. And the crown spoken of here is the victor's crown, the, the laurel wreath that was awarded to those who have won the race. And so picture, picture God as welcoming you into heaven and saying, well done, my faithful, my good servant. You have finished the race. It is worth it. Sometimes we wonder if it is. Those who can fix their eyes beyond the temporary and trust God through the trials of life and persevere to the end. Does that describe you? You need help. <laughs> you do. And so don't I as we live in this uncertain world. We need God's wisdom. that helps us view difficult circumstances from a proper perspective. We need God's wisdom. So it changes how we view our status in life. Church, fix your eyes on what lasts. Don't let the challenges right now derail you in your faith. Get perspective. Ask Him for the wisdom you need so that you aren't overcome when a trial or trouble strikes. Ask God for the help you need to keep your head in it. He has not left us on our own to endure the things of this life. I mean, do you really want to rely on what you can see or what God can see. At halftime in a high school basketball game in Bristol, Oklahoma, and I likely shared this with you before, but it really fits. But at halftime in a high school basketball game, they would have these these contests for previously selected fans. And one contest involved uh, blindfolding the contestants, the, the participants, and when the buzzer sounded, they'd run around the gym and try to pick up money which had been scattered throughout the gym floor. And most of the time, the contestants so were blindfolded did not do very well. They picked up a, a few random bills, but not many. On one occasion, however, there was this one man who did exceptionally well. 
He went right to the biggest bills, and he took in quite a haul. Could he see through his blindfold? Now, how did he do it? Why did he do so well? Well, the man explained after what he had done. He said he watched previously this contest at other games and how most people just kind of ran around the, the gym without direction, let the screams of the crowd direct them this way and that way. And so he said, if I'm ever selected, I'm going to plan in advance here that if I'm ever picked to do this, I'm going to find one person in the crowd that I know who could see the money on the floor and then I'm going to listen to this one person, this one voice who could see what he could not see. And then let this one person direct him to all the money. <laughs> and so he did. Isn't that what we must do? When we feel as though we're flying blindly through life, remember, God can see what we can't see. He, he has more information than we do. In fact, He knows everything. He knows what we don't know. So, we must trust Him with what we know, and we must trust Him with what we don't know, for then we can live well in an uncertain world. You need help? <laughs> ask God. And we can ask Him again, and again, and again, and again, and He promises to provide us Whatever it is, is lacking. Wow. Let's pray. God, thank you for our promises that are given to us that we can boast, not in ourselves, boast in the cross, boast in the fact that, that we are co-heirs with Christ, that all of your promises are yes in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.